since convention so uh, transformative. It you know f- past uh, I forget when the first one was held, maybe in the forties or something like that. But since that time, um, thousands upon thousands of missionaries literally have been placed in the mission field, and people's lives have been changed. It's been such a powerfully uh, transformative. Uh, gathering of people used to be upwards of 20,000 when it met in Illinois and probably about 16,000 will be gathering here from uh, different nations and, and fellowshipping and studying the word of God together. And I think part of what makes Urbana so powerful and so uh, unique and so life-changing is that the very essence of the mission is of, of the conference is how do I get my life into, how do I find my place in the story of God? Uh, as, as Topher said, this year the theme is uh, how to find your life or, or something like that. Find your life, finding your life or finding your whatever. But throughout Urbana, throughout the history of Urbana, uh, this idea of finding our place within the story of God is central to uh, what this convention is all about. In essence, it's a conference in which you enter in and you exit that place saying, God, use me. I want to know how you can use my life. Many other gatherings and many other conferences, we enter in with this idea coming to say, God, bless me, right? But Urbana's mission convention's focus is not just bless me, but God, use me. Send me. And I think that's a pivotal shift that needs to happen in the life of every believer if we're going to grow in maturity. Growth comes because, you see, when we begin, we necessarily have to say, God, bless me, bless me, bless me. This is what uh, every child coming out of the womb says, bless me, bless me. I need from you. And as we get older, we need to continue to receive. We need to continue to get blessed. But we move into maturity when we begin to say, use me, use me. Use me. This is a, a crucial pivot that needs to happen in the life of every believer if we're going to hit that next place of maturity, going from bless me to use me. Right? God, fill me to God, empty me to be sent for the sake of people around. This uh, Christmas time we've been talking about, actually last week we talked about this idea that God wants to do a miracle in your life. There are miracles that you've been praying for. There are prayers that you've been praying for that have been unanswered for, for, for all this time. And you're waiting on a miracle. And what the true story of Zechariah and Elizabeth showed is that God is a God who desires to do miracles in you. Today, as we continue the Christmas story, the true Christmas story that happened 2,000 years ago, I want to show that not only does God want to do a miracle in your life, but God wants to do a miracle through your life. Not only does God want to do a miracle in you and for you, he wants to do a miracle through you. Can you imagine that? Have you ever wanted to be used by God to bring about miracles in the lives of people? Have you ever looked at somebody and watched somebody? I mean, I used to look at people all the time when I was in, in, in middle school, high school, was growing up in college, and I would see people who were doing things for God. They would pray prayers, and, and people would get healed, or, or they would lead uh, worship, and, and lives would be changed, or they would preach a message, and they would give an altar call, and, and all these lives would, would be changed. Now, I used to look at people like that and say, man, I want to be used by God in that way. Do you want to be used by God? You, you see people giving uh, someone struggling. 
They're about to uh, throw in the towel. They're, they're, they're struggling. They want to drop out of high school or they want to run away from their home or they want to uh, end their lives or whatever it is. And, and they have a conversation with one of your friends and your friend just says something, whatever it is. And after 30 minutes, they come back saying, I'm ready to live. I'm ready to, to, to find freedom in Christ. And, and you're wondering, what was it about them? I wish that God would use my life in that way. Have you ever wanted to be used by God? Not just to do like stuff that you can do apart from God, but stuff that only God can do through your life. Have you ever wanted to be used by God in that way? If you do, then I think that what the Lord has for us today will be instructive and informative to help us through the gospel of grace to see how God can use our lives. This week, um, we are expecting a harvest baby uh, from uh, Seho and Jane's loins, the fruit of their loins. Uh, we're expecting a baby to come, and we look at Jane, and we see, wow, she's pregnant, and something beautiful, a miracle is going to come out of her. In the same way, if we have eyes of faith, uh, we can see that every single one of us is pregnant with miracles also. If you would be willing to see that and to believe that and allow your life to be used in the way that the virgin... Mary allowed her life to be used. Luke chapter 1, we're going to read verses 26 through 38. And this is the passage right after what we looked at last week where Zechariah was visited by an angel. And the angel said, you're going to have a child at an old, old age. Not you personally, but your wife and you will have a child. We pick up from Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. We see another miraculous birth here. This is God's word. It says, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Uh, How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be barren, is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said, and then the angel left her. If you can jump forward to verse 46, we're going to see after Mary goes and talks to Elizabeth, she's going to sing a song that she writes. This is beautiful. 46 to 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He 
He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. This is God's word. So Mary is about to get the most shocking birth announcement that you will ever hear. I, uh, I don't want to be too presumptuous, but I can say that I somewhat know what Mary went through. <laughs> uh, so it was 2009, and Olivia and I were expecting our first child. We hadn't had any kids at the time, and Olivia was pregnant with uh, who, the, the child who is now Emmanuel, Manny. And so we were talking to people in advance of that ultrasound where we find out the gender, and they were asking, hey, so, uh, you know, you wanted to be a boy or a girl? And I said, I really want a boy, really want a boy. You know, this is like uh, my dream is to have a boy after my own heart and to see him rise up and to be like his daddy. And that's like, I'm excited about that. I don't know, have a clue about girls. I didn't have any sisters. I'm kind of like all a mess when it comes to girls. I don't know anything about this. So I really, really want a boy. Olivia at the time was teaching second grade and uh, she had 25 students and she asked them, she did a poll, right? You think we'll have a boy or a girl. 22 out of the 25 said it's going to be a boy. Uh, Our friends, our family, a lot of them said it's going to be a boy. My parents were convinced it's going to be a boy. So needless to say, when we went into that ultrasound, I went in fully expecting that she's going to say, yep, there's, I see something, (laughs) it's going to be a boy. And so the shock when she said, there's the little head and there's the feet and oh, there's the abdomen and Looks like you're going to have a baby girl. I remember feeling so deflated when I heard that. (laughs) I was like, in my head, I was like, oh my goodness, this is the end of my life as I know it. This is terrible. I said, God, why? I said, male, not female. Why? What happened? Did something get mixed up along the way? I wanted a boy and I don't know what to do. And this is tragic and nothing against girls, but just I was so afraid. And so insecure, I had no idea what to do with a girl. I can kind of change a boy, baby boy's diapers, I thought. But when it comes to girls, it's like everything is different and it's weird. And so if you ask Olivia, she will say that for the next couple hours, I was not very talkative as I was pondering in my head. But acceptance of the situation slowly began to come when I realized, you know what? I think even if I pray as hard as I can right now and fast, I don't think the gender of the baby is going to change. At this point, it's too late. God has done what he wanted to do, and so I accepted the situation. Needless to say, there was a lot of shock. In some way, I think, well, no, I don't understand what Mary was feeling, but Mary was the recipient of the most shocking birth announcement ever. But her response to that announcement caused her to be the bearer and the carrier of a miracle child who would change the world forever. How is it? What is it about Mary? There's something about Mary. Somebody said a long time ago, there's something about Mary. There must have been, right? What was it about? And how can we, who are simple, ordinary people, become pregnant with a miracle as well? Two things. I'm just going to point out two thoughts. The first thing is about 
our surrender, and the second is about God's power. But the first thing is that God's looking for someone who is fully surrendered to him. God is looking for someone who is fully surrendered to him. You want to be used of God to bring miracles into the world? Right? He is looking for someone who is fully surrendered to him. We just saying, all to Jesus I surrender. But I think if, well, you look at the soundtrack of my life, it would be more appropriate to say, some to Jesus. I surrender because there are parts of my life that I certainly hold back from God. What does it mean that God is looking for someone who is fully surrendered to him? You've heard this analogy uh, or this acronym probably. Uh, If you've been in church long enough, you've been through Harvest 201. But I think what encapsulates this idea of being fully surrendered is this acronym FAT, F. We don't know what Mary looked like, but we know that she was fat in the sense that she was faithful, she was available, and she was teachable. What does it mean to be fully surrendered? It means that we are fully faithful, we are completely available, and we are completely teachable. This is what it means to be fully surrendered to the Lord God. What does it mean to be faithful? you remember the backdrop okay mary is a teenager some say she was 13 some say she was 19 but probably for many of our youth students in here you're probably around the age that mary was at the time she was it says pledged to be married right the the word is betrothal here it's more it's a lot more significant than an engagement it's kind of a similar idea where six to twelve months uh, is this betrothal period and what it means is that you are legally committed to be married to that person. The parents have exchanged all that stuff, and, and you guys are, are uh, basically, uh, for all intents and purposes, you are married, except for the fact that you do not live together, and you have not consummated that relationship by sleeping together and having a sexual relation. Right? You haven't consummated that marriage. But for all intents and purposes, you are considered to be married in the sense that if you're unfaithful, you've committed adultery. If a partner dies, then you are a widow or a widower. And so it's pretty much a binding legal transaction. You just have not moved into each other's houses. You're still staying in your parents' home. So this is Mary, six to 12 months period. So undoubtedly, she's thinking about her wedding day. In those days, weddings were not all about the bride like it is today. It was all about the groom. But still, there's this romantic side in her. There's this I'm in love side within Mary. She has already said yes to the dress. She's hired her wedding planner. She's got J-Lo working on it. And she's got the perfect venue. And all this stuff is ready to go. She's excited because she's about to get married. And it is a highlight of her life. Mary, a faithful, devoted woman. And one night in the midst of all of that preparation, in the midst of all of that longing and that anticipation, what happens is an angel visits her one night. And basically, if you read the story, uh, verse 28, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. She's troubled because angels don't come to bring good news. Usually angels were fear inducing, uh, just massive, frightening, holy beings. And so Mary is troubled. And basically what the angel says is, Mary, today is your day. You are blessed. You are favored above all others. You are chosen by God. And you've got growing in you a baby. And the paternity test says that Joseph is not the father. 
Can you imagine what that would be like for an engaged, betrothed young girl in that Middle Eastern town where it's all about being proper and prim and purity is valued for her to hear a message like that? And so the angel comes and declares this over Mary's life. At a certain point, Mary has got to be thinking, she's got to be thinking, well, what will this mean for me? If I'm pregnant and I'm not yet married, then all the townspeople are going are to shun me. I'm going to walk around with a scarlet letter because I've got a baby bump. And as soon as that starts showing, people are going to think that Joseph did something he shouldn't have done. And they're going to make fun of us. And then I've got to face Joseph and tell him, hey, I didn't mess around with anybody else. I promise you, an angel came and visited me and told me that I'm going to be pregnant with God's baby through the Holy Spirit and that my child is going to be the son of God. And if he actually gets to believing that, then he probably will just divorce her quietly. And at the worst case, she'll be condemned as an adulterer and the punishment would be stoning. This Nighttime encounter by this angel is saying, basically, Mary, your life is going to get jacked upside down, right side up, and nothing is going to be the same again. If you're Mary and that's your life, waiting to get married, waiting for that day, and someone tells you that you're going to be pregnant with somebody, and that child is not going to come from the man that you're betrothed to, and what are you thinking? And what are you feeling? What's going through your mind? And yet Mary, Mary's response in verse 38 is, may it be to me as you have said. Can you imagine that? This is what it means to be faithful. It means to say, may it be to me as you have said that I will be faithful to the will of God, even at cost to myself. That's what it means to be faithful. It means, God, glorify yourself at my expense. Glorify yourself even if it means the death of my reputation. Glorify yourself if it means the death of my dreams. Glorify yourself even if it means the death of my, my, uh, my standing within the society, within the culture, within my corporation, within my company, within my family. Even if it means death to all of those things, glorify yourself at my expense. That's what it means to be faithful. That's what it means to be surrendered. It's the cost of being a miracle bearer. When I think of uh, Mary in this situation, I think of uh, a football player named Tim Tebow. You guys, in, being in, in Florida, we, m- many of us know Tim Tebow, at least know the name. He uh, was a great football player for the University of Florida, Heisman Trophy winner, uh, had a, a good season in the NFL, but since then has become known a lot more for his outspoken Christian beliefs than he is for the things that he did on the football field. That there's some people... Uh, he's, he's a winner. He wins games. That's all he does. He's not the best player, uh, but he should be probably on an NFL roster, but there's a lot of speculation and people who think that the reason he's not on a football team right now is because the teams don't want to deal with his outspoken Christianity. And so here's Tim Tebow. He was in the news recently because he was dating Miss USA, former Miss USA, right? Probably a beautiful young lady. 
And she uh, broke up with him because she said that he would not sleep with her. Because he would not have sex with Miss USA. And so she came out and said, I can't deal with this. I can't handle this. I'm going to break up with him. And in Christian media, people said, well, he's a good guy. You know, that's a great and noble choice. But the majority of mainstream media just smashed him and nailed him and said, are you kidding me? What is wrong with you? This is Miss USA here. So many other people are doing it. Why don't you just get with the times? You're dumb and you're old-fashioned and you're traditional. And he got railed through it. But I think the attitude of Tim Tebow, that he doesn't care. He just wants to be faithful to God. You want to be faithful to God. God, glorify yourself even at expense to my name. This is the cost of surrender. This is what it costs if you want to be used by God to bring about miracles in the lives of other people. Are you willing to be faithful in that way? Are you willing to be faithful even if it means that your girlfriend's going to make fun of you? Even if it means that your boyfriend is going to make fun of you? Even if it means that your boyfriend's going to break up with you? Even if it means that you might never get married? Even if it means that you're never going to get promoted up the ladder in your corporation because you are a follower of Christ? Are you willing to be faithful to God at expense to your own life? This is what it means to be surrendered fully. And these are the kinds of people that God uses. Surrender means faithfulness, but it also means availability. It means that you're available. Look at what she says. 38, the first part. I am the Lord's servant. A servant is basically you're saying, I'm whatever my master needs. I am available wherever you want me to go, to whomever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, whenever you want me to do it, I'm available to you. We don't understand the idea of servants too much in our day in America because we don't typically have servants, right? But one way that you can compare what she did not say, and again, you may have heard me say this before, but what Mary did not say is she did not say, I am your server. May it be to me as you have said. She said, I am your servant. There's a difference between a server and a servant. They come from the same root word to serve, but a server and a servant are completely different things. You go to eat somewhere after uh, church today, go to eat at some nice restaurant where there's a host or a hostess, and they say, welcome to our restaurant. We're going to take you to your seat. And you go to your seat, and immediately after seating, someone walks up to you, and they say, hey, my name is Stan, and I am your what? Server. I will be your server today. And so here's Stan, he comes, and he's there to be your server. He does not say, I'm your servant. What does that mean? As you're eating your food, or as you're waiting for your food to come out, your baby spills their milk bottle, and it goes all over the floor, and in the mess to clean it up, your broccoli falls all over the floor. And so, say, excuse me, Stan, hey, Stan, hey, um, we dropped this stuff on the floor. Do you think you'd be able to, I I don't want it to get, like, all messy. I don't want baby to to fall into it, so do you think you you could take care of it? And here's what Stan the server says. He says, that's not my responsibility, but I will get the busboy to come and clean that up. That's what a server says. That's not my job. I'll get someone to do that. As the meal goes on, you hear somebody from another area saying, excuse me, excuse me, calling out to Stan. Excuse me, do you think you could get me a refill on Diet Coke? And Stan looks at them, and he looks at you, and he says, that's not my table. That's not my area. 
That's for someone else to do. And then as you're finishing up your meal, Stan looks at his watch. He says, it's 6 o'clock. It's time for me to go. And so Stan walks up to your table, and he says, guys, thanks for coming in today. Um, it's, I'm actually off my shift now, so I can't get you your desserts. But if you need anything, go ask uh, Allison over there, and Allison will come and help you. Okay. But, but, but Stan, just one last thing before you go. Do you think, you, no, my time is up. My shift is done. Uh, I'm out, and he leaves. You think to yourself, wow, Stan is not going to get a good tip today. What Stan did not do, you think to yourself, you know what, Stan the server, he maybe did what he was supposed to do, but if Mary was taking care of my table today, how might things be different? Because you see, there's a difference between a server and a servant. Here's what a servant does. A servant, if the broccoli and milk fell, the servant would clean it up. The servant, if some other table was calling them, would go and help them. The servant, even if their shift was done, would continue to work. Here's why. A server serves only the people they want to serve, only doing the things they want to do, only doing it when they want to do it. But a servant will serve anybody, any way, any time. That's what it means to be available. Do you pick and choose what kinds of ministries you can do for God? Do you pick and choose when you are available and when you are not? Do you pick and choose who you will serve and who you will not serve? If you are, if you do, then maybe it's limiting the ability of God to do a miracle through your life. Because as much as we think we're available, we're not as available as we think. Because you see, guys, availability is not about how much spare time we have. It's not about time. It's about an attitude. It's not about our schedule It's about our mindset. It's a mentality. It is an ethos of the the way that we live life, saying, I will make myself available because I am a servant of the Lord God. This is what it means to be surrendered. It means to be available. And then the last thing it means to to be teachable. When the angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to have a baby, it's almost a similar response. When the angel came to Zechariah, Zechariah said, no, 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 no. This can't be because I'm old and my wife is well along in years. The response of the angel to Zechariah is, you doubted. You didn't believe, so you're going to be mute. You're not going to be able to talk until the child is born. The response to Mary is, here's how it's going to happen. God's going to overpower you, come over you, and through the Lord God, you are going to be the carrier of that child. So what is the angels? Is the angels not playing favorites? In fact, what the angel is doing is exposing the heart of both of these people. Zechariah doubted because he didn't think it was possible. Mary understood that it was possible. She just didn't know how it was going to be. So Mary was asking for clarification. Zechariah was asking for evidence. And so Mary's heart saying, I believe, this is, I believe you can do this, but I just, I just don't know how it can be. You need to show me how. You need to tell me how. And the angel did that. You see, Zechariah thought that he knew everything there was to know, and because of that, he could not trust. You know people like that. They think they know everything so that when an idea comes that they disagree with, they can't trust that idea. They can't trust that thought because they think, I know everything, and if that doesn't jive with what I know, then it can't possibly be true. But people who know that they don't know everything, 
When someone tells them something, they're willing to listen. They're willing to trust because they know that they don't know everything. And they know that somebody may have greater knowledge than I do. The teachability of Mary is seen in this one simple fact. When you look at the song that she sings here in verses 46 through 55, you don't know this by looking at it, by hearing me read it out loud. But one thing that you'll recognize if you do your commentary research is you will realize that she's actually pulling quotes from Psalm, from 1 Samuel, from 2 Samuel, from 10 different Old Testament references are quoted and cited in this short nine verse, 10 verse song that Mary is singing. I'll tell you a simple thought here. If you find it difficult to trust God, difficult to surrender to God, if you find it difficult to be teachable, then I think one of the more probable reasons is because we haven't filled our hearts with the word of God. When the fire of trust is weak, it's because the kindle of Scripture will be low in your life. That when it's difficult for us to trust God, it's usually because we have not been pouring over the Scriptures in the way that Mary has been doing. There's two kinds of wills of God. What the angel was bringing before Mary was a concealed will of God. Mary didn't know what was going to happen in the future. That's the concealed will of, I don't know what that is. But what caused Mary to be able to trust in the angelic announcement of the concealed will of God is that she was devoted to and faithfully living out the revealed will of God as spoken in Scripture. You want to know how you can follow the will of God no matter where it is he's calling you? If you're immersed in this will of God and committed to living it out. We uh, had our Harvest 201 uh, graduation ceremony this past week, and one of our people was saying that uh, th- during the course of, of 201, uh, they had applied for a job that maybe, you know, they probably in, a, in an earthly sense should have gotten that job. But as they're waiting and as they're praying, it was, wasn't happening. And there was frustration, and there was even some bitterness, and God, why aren't you showing up? But the testimony of this person was that the more I began to read the Word of God, the more the Word of God began to inform me and to change my heart, I was able to trust in the will of God, to submit to the will of God, and even find growth in this season of waiting upon the Lord God. That teachability and that attitude of trust that comes from knowing the Word of God and allowing that to change our hearts as we wait upon the Lord God in the fulfillment of what he said he's going to do in our lives. Are you faithful to God, even at expense to yourself? Are you available to God? And again, that has nothing to do with your time. It has everything to do with your attitude. Are you available to God? Are you teachable? Are you willing to allow God to speak into your life and to shape you and to mold you and to form you? If you are, These are the kinds of people through whom God can do his miracles. It's the first thing. The second thing, and this is going to be shorter. The second thing is that God is the miracle maker. He's just looking for someone to use. God is the miracle maker. Sometimes when we play this game or we introduce ourselves and say one uh, fun fact about you that other people might not know, uh, you may not know this about me, but I love doing magic, like magic tricks. I'm really good at doing magic tricks, and it's 
kind of uh, something that I, I used to enjoy doing a lot. I used to uh, stand on stage in my campus ministry and, and make things disappear and make things appear, and it was really fun. So the other day, uh, I wanted to brush off my old abracadabra magic, and so uh, Elise had lost her little uh, elephant, and her elephant is like her life. And so I, I walked around, and I found it, and then I did this, you know, this thing that all, all daddies do. I reached behind her head, and I pulled the elephant out of her ear. I said, look, it was in your ear, Elisa. It was in your ear, and she's wanting it, and she got it. And, and so Elijah, seeing that, runs up to Daddy, and he's, Daddy, Daddy, can you pull something out of my ear too? And so I looked around for something, and I found a ruler that I could slip in my long sleeve shirt. And I said, Elijah, I see something. And I started wiggling his ear, wiggling his ear. And boom, a ruler came out of his ear. I said, Elijah, look what's in your ear. And he's shaking his ear, and he's so excited. He's like, do more and do more magic. And I, I, I really have I've enjoyed doing magic tricks. And so uh, maybe one day uh, I can do some magic for you. But in the meantime, let's pretend. Let's pretend that we go to a magic show. And... The magician stands up on the stage and he says, for my last trick, the sawing of a lady in half, I'm going to need a volunteer. And I get so excited. I say, me, me, pick me, pick me, pick me. And I jump up, please, please. He says, you with the beard and glasses, come on up. And, and so I run up and, and, I, and I get up on stage and I'm so excited. And I'm like, hey, uh, just to let you know, I know that I look like a magician, but this is one trick I've never actually done. I've never actually sawed people in half. I've pulled things out of ears and I've made things disappear, but I've never been able to do this. And he says, don't worry. Right? You're not the one who's going to do the trick. I just needed someone to stand up here. I said, oh, really? But, you know, this is something that I've always dreamed of doing. And, and I'm super nervous because, like, my whole church, like, all of my family and friends are here. And, and I feel like... You know, almost like Eminem before a rap battle. I'm, I'm sweaty and I'm nervous. And he's like, relax. You're not going to be the one doing it. I just needed you to come up here because I needed a volunteer to use. That's it. And what a relief I would feel knowing that I wouldn't have to be the one cutting this lady in half because I would be thinking about how am I going to do this? However am I going to do this without getting blood all over the place, and without sewing a woman in half and getting a liability, lawsuit, all these things. I don't have the money. For... Sometimes we get so stressed out because we feel like the miracle is up to us. My gosh, that girl, that girl is addicted to whatever it is, and, and she called me to help her. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Oh, my gosh, you know what? Uh, they asked me to evangelize to that person that they love, and I don't know how, I, I don't think I can save them. My gosh, that person, they, they, the, that couple called me because that boyfriend and girlfriend, they're having, they're having issues, and, and they're about to break up, and they're, they're looking to me to, to make things better, or, or they're telling, they're asking me what to do. I don't know what to say. Oh, my gosh, there's all this stuff that's going on, and, and I'm not sure how I'm going to be able to do it. I've never actually led praise before. I've never done any of these things before. And God's saying, Relax. It's not up to you to do the miracle. It never was up to you. It was never up to us to do the miracle. It was never up to us to change anybody, to fix anybody, to change any situation, to be the Superman. It was never up to us to do that. We're not the one to put out the fires. God is the miracle maker. He's just looking for somebody to use. And as soon as we get that, the more we can trust and pray and take comfort and be at peace because it's not up to us.
It's not up to us to do. I know some of you might be thinking, you know what? There have been times, right? There have been times where it was on me. I did do it. The less you think that it's your gifting, your power, your wisdom, your education, your degree, the things that you've learned, God says, no, 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 no. It's not. God can use and he does use those things, but don't ever think that he needs those things in order to do his work. Mary is prime example. A poor country girl, nothing going for her. She says, you have regarded my humble estate and you chose to use me. God didn't have to, and he doesn't have to use any of us. Some of the greatest preachers that the world has known were uneducated, backwoods preachers. Some of the greatest biblical writing you've read, D.L. Moody, A.W. Tozer, these guys had no education, but they were used of God in mighty ways. Why? Because God is the miracle man. He's just looking for somebody to use. I remember a time when, you know, the, the, the older I get and the longer I stay at a, a particular church, um, I've, I've got a lot of, you know, people that I have met through the years that I, I want to help them to become the best servants of God that, that can be. And so I remember there was this one time where I was sitting in a context where uh, this brother uh, in ministry uh, was able to share the word of God to a group of probably, you know, some people. And I was very moved by it, honestly. Young guy, I was very moved by it. And so afterwards, I just wanted to affirm. And I said to this person, I said, you know what, that was a great sermon. I really appreciate, you know, that was really good. I just went on to tell him the things that were good about it. And he's like, really? Wow, that's great. Because I just kind of winged it. And after the, the dust had settled, I pulled him aside. I said, that was good. But please, for your sake and for the sake of the ministry, don't ever, ever do that again. Don't ever think that you can get by winging it based on your gifts. Because it may have worked this time, and God sometimes chooses to, to overlook the failures of the servant because he loves the people that were gathered there, and he wanted to meet them and bless them. But if ever we think that I'm going to lean on my gifts to do anything and not lean on the miracle power of God, then here's what's going to happen. Your fruit at best, I guarantee you, is going to, be, is, is going to have worms infesting it. You can do good work. You can do man-sized work, woman-sized work through our gifting. But if you want to be used of God to do miracles, you cannot lean on your own strength. I know it, man. I've seen God work through me sometimes when I wasn't quite ready, when I was bitter, I was angry, I was greedy, I was lazy on all these things. I've seen God work through me in those ways, but I know very quickly that's the grace of God. As soon as I, I, I've been taught, as soon as I, before I get to my seat, to, after I preach a sermon to say, thank you, God, because it was your grace. If anything happens, it's your grace. I know that it's not me to do anything. I sit down and say, God, thank you for using a, a vessel like me because you didn't, you didn't need me and you don't need me to do this. If anything good comes, it's because you are the one doing it and you're just looking for a vessel to use. Guys, don't get into a habit of thinking that because you've been doing something for a long time that you can get by on that gift. The scariest place to be is that you see some semblance of fruit through your life, some compliment from people because of your gifting. That's not going to be long-lasting in terms of fruit. You want to do things. You want to build a ministry to last. It's got to be through God and not through yourself. It's got to be. Got to be. I ask our leaders sometimes, I say, is 
your ministry so evidenced by the work of the Holy Spirit that if the Holy Spirit were to pull out of your ministry, that everything would fall apart? And would people notice? Put another way, if the Holy Spirit were to withdraw from your ministry as a Sunday school teacher, as a house church shepherd, as a praise team member, as a preacher, whatever it is, if the Holy Spirit were to pull out, would anyone notice a difference? Would you notice a difference in that ministry? I pray that we would have ministries that if the Holy Spirit were to withdraw, it would crumble to the ground and be left nothing. So that we would know that God doesn't need to use us. He is the miracle maker. He's just looking for somebody to use. Dr. Robert Cantrell, vice president, University of Virginia Health Science Center, when I was there, he would tell all of his residents, all of his doctors, all of his med students, he would say, listen, make one thing clear, that God is the healer. You are simply a conduit of his healing power. That's all you are. You don't do anything. It's God who is the healer. And he's the miracle maker. He's just looking for somebody to use. And Mary understood there could have been any girl in, in Bethlehem. Could have been anyone. There were other virgins in Bethlehem during the time of Mary. And she makes clear, hey, you, you, you saw the humble state of your servant. You uh, send the rich away empty. You help your servant Israel. You're merciful. She knows that it's all the grace of God. Only the grace of God that has chosen her to be used by God. That means that God can use anyone to do a miracle. Anyone to do a miracle. You are pregnant with miracles so long as you come to God fully surrendered and understanding that he is the one doing the miracles. I pray, guys, that we would be the kind of people this Christmas who would come back in the new year with testimonies of miracles that have been wrought in our lives. And to understand that oftentimes grace, beautiful as it may be, may come disguised as something other. Sometimes the grace that heals us comes through the disguise of a surgeon's scalpel. Sometimes the grace that changes the course of our lives comes through the disguise and the cloak of a rebuke that gets our attention. Sometimes the grace that sets us on a journey to seeing the miracles of God comes through the disguise of a colossal failure. The oftentimes grace is painful, but it's the greatest gift that God can give. And in opening up her life to grace, Mary understood that this grace could cost me everything. What was the cost of her to follow? To say, I'm the Lord's servant. You see it. It's a scandal. It's the potential loss of so many different things. It's the ridicule of townspeople at just a young age to be bullied, to be picked on. But the ultimate cost of grace was for a mother to look at her son, perfect in obedience, at 33 years old, to be crucified and mangled on the cross. Why? Because that too was the grace of God disguised in a bloody, unjust murder. It's that grace that comes down to us, that enables us to be everything that he has called us to be. It was that miracle wrought 
at a killing tree, on a killing tree that gives us life and says here, you now, because the blood has been shed, because that kernel of wheat has fallen into the ground and died, it produces many seeds. You are the fruit of that. Because every single one of us is pregnant with destinies, pregnant with possibilities, pregnant with miracles. Saying all God looks for is someone to say, here I am. Use my life for your glory. May we be used in that way this Christmas for the glory of his name. Let's pray. There are miracles that need to be brought about in the lives of people that you care about. Do you believe that God wants to use you? The fact that he would choose you and call you and appoint you to say, I want you to be the one that I use. I'm going to do the miracle, guys. I'm going to do the magic trick. I'm going to do the stuff up here. I just, I just want a volunteer. God's power will flow through people who say, God, here I am, fully faithful, fully available, fully teachable. All to Jesus I surrender. All to you I freely give. Let's pray for a minute and say, Lord, I want to be used by you. God, use me. God, use me. Lord, use me. That my words would shape the course of a life. That my words would give life to a hopeless person. That my words could bring the dead to life. That my words could actually bring salvation. Maybe what God is saying, hey, I'm ready to bring that person to salvation. Are you ready to just share the gospel? Hey, that person's ready. I'm ready to save them. They just need to hear the gospel because they can't be saved unless they hear. Can you take that step? Just take that step. Be available. Could it be that this Christmas could be Christmas that you see miracles unlike any? God uses you to bring about the miracles that he wants to bring about. Let's pray to the Lord God and say, Father, here I am. I want to be used by you. Use my life in order that my life would be filled with miracles. Maybe not just one or two, maybe a bunch. There's no limits to what God can do through a person who's fully surrendered to him. doesn't matter if you're a doctor, a lawyer, a pastor, a preacher, a nun, a nurse, a student, whoever you are. A person surrendered to the Lord God, he can use to do his miracles. He can do that through you. Let's pray together for half a minute. We'll continue to pray through songs.
we don't just ask that you would do a miracle in our lives and in our hearts and in our homes. Lord, we want to be used by you. We want to be your servants, faithful, available, teachable, surrendered fully to you. We want to be vessels that you would choose to use to proclaim the greatness of God, that we would dream again and we would believe again and we would confess again, as this passage said, that nothing is impossible with God. That you would use a humble servant like teenage Mary to bring in the Savior of the world. And surely you could use us if we're surrendered to you. So help us, Lord God. We look to you. We surrender to you. We love you, Lord. May grace amaze us. And may we be used by you. In Jesus' name we pray.